Welcome to Horror Struck. What's up, horror fans? Welcome back to Horror Struck, a horror commentary podcast where we look at the genre through the lens of a diehard fan and of a scaredy cat. I am Riley Ott. This week, I am joined by not only my co-host and best friend, Cecilia Talbert, but also my brother, Ryan Ott. We took a look at the 2009 film Jennifer's Body, directed by Corinne Kusama. Spoiler warnings for Jennifer's Body. There will be many spoilers. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Hello, horror babies. Hello. Welcome back to another <laughs> podcast. That's my job. We have a guest today. Hello. Ryan, would you like to introduce yourself? I am Ryan. I am Riley's sibling. And we're here to talk horror, baby. Specifically, we're here to talk about your listener request. That's right. Was there anything you guys were watching that you wanted to talk about? I've been trying to keep up with the Marvel shows for my friend's sake and my own. Like, WandaVision was great. Falcon Winter Soldier is pretty good because it feels like I'm just watching an Avengers movie. I rewatched Death Note with Emily and Sammy because I felt that it was a show that everyone should watch in their life. And they actually really enjoyed it. I thought you were going to say you made them sit through the Netflix movie. (laughs) I did. (laughs) I made Ryan sit through that. We finished the last episode and then I was like, okay, you guys want to see this Willem Dafoe version of Ryuk and the shitty douchebag kid in high school who's supposed to be light? And we really didn't make it too long. God, they do light so dirty. I made you watch the entire thing when it came out. I watched it twice because I made my ex-girlfriend watch it too, like the day before. And I was in awe of how bad it was. I've got to show this to someone. Terrible. They got it so wrong. All of it. Everything was wrong. And I don't know how. I only watched clips and like reviews of it. I think the only thing that I garnered from watching those was that, all right, William Dafoe makes a good creepy fucking uh, Shimagami. She is what Shinigami, right? Yeah. But he's not even a good Ryuk. He's too serious. I think Ryuk in the show is so funny. But if you want a recommendation of a movie that is very close to what I think the live action Death Note should have been, watch Luce. L-U-C-E. It's the name of the main character in the movie as well. Not any kind of like supernatural stuff, but I think he would have made a good like light character. He's very similar to how he is in the anime. Octavia Spencer's in it and she is phenomenal. Is that, is it streaming anywhere? Yes, it is on Hulu. What have I been watching? I watched WrestleMania. Hell yeah. (laughs) Along the horror lines, for those who don't watch wrestling, there is a wrestler. um, His gimmick right now is called The Fiend. Um, Just Google it. It's so creepy. I love it, though. And they just introduced this, like, new character into his storyline, who is played by this wrestler, Alexa Bliss. And she's actually from Ohio. Yeah, I think I've heard of her. Look her up in WrestleMania because I don't know why they decided to open up a question during like the big wrestling event to the storyline, but she's like evil Antichrist Jesus in it. It was like the coolest thing. They had her like in this crown of thorns with all this black like oozing down her face. It was like super cool. Okay, the fiend guy looks like he should be a member of Slipknot. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> He's fun. It's pretty creepy. I finished the second season of Channel Zero, and I absolutely love this show. Both the endings of the first and the second season have made me cry, (laughs) but they're so good. They're so creepy. Have you heard of this show, Ryan? Holy shit, this guy's terrifying. I'm sorry. Oh, are you looking at the fiend? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Oh my god. Um, I'm sorry, there's a creepypasta show? There is a show that Sci-Fi made. I think it's only streaming on Shudder right now, but it's called Channel Zero, and each 
each season is a different story. So it's an anthology show like American Horror Story. But each season is based on a different creepypasta story. That's incredible. And so I just started the third season. I don't think I know what this creepypasta is. But the idea is that you'll like randomly walk into the woods and see a staircase. And about how you're not supposed to go up the staircase. I saw a meme about that. Yeah, it was like, what do you do if you see this? And someone was just like, don't go up it. It's good though. I really like it. You sound like episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Kind of is, yeah. It's like an adult version of Are You Afraid of the Dark but Longer. Sounds good. I really want to watch it now. I might start it. I watched, surprise, another Amityville movie. And I know that Cecilia knows. I watched Amityville 2, The Possession. You told me you were watching that one and I was like, oh, they're gonna have fun. Oh yeah, seven minutes in, I was like, hey, there's an incest surprise in this movie. (laughs) That's a bad band name, incest (laughs) surprise. Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) That's my metalcore band. So I didn't realize that Amityville 2 is not a sequel. It's a prequel, and it's focused more on the DeFeos, quote-unquote. It's another family, but it's basically the DeFeos. And there were those rumors that Ronnie Jr., who killed his whole family, was having relationships with his younger sister. And they really play into that in the movie. And there's a scene where, after these siblings fuck, the girl goes to her priest to confessional and is like, hey, I slept with my friend, quote unquote. And the guy's like, oh, well, you shouldn't do sins just because they feel good. And she was like, didn't feel good. We just did it to piss off God. God. I was like, this is the most insane movie I've ever seen. (laughs) The first hour of it, I actually really liked. The last half hour kind of lost me. Honestly, I'd recommend it. It was kind of good. What's it called? Amityville 2, The Possession. But also, I've watched so many Amityville movies and shows that I have such low standards because all of the adaptations are garbage. So I think that might be why I thought it was good, at least the best or one of the best of the ones that I've seen. Mm -hmm. You finally watched Shaun of the Dead. Oh yeah, we watched Shaun of the Dead the other night. It was alright. You've never seen that? No. Wow. I think over the years it's been so hyped up that I was expecting it to be a lot more. Like, it was good, I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't like a masterpiece. Well, and zombies have been so played out at this point. I think at the time, like, no one had really done a comedy around zombies. And I think as many times as I've seen Zombieland, like, that's gonna be my favorite zombie comedy. I honestly, for the first time, watched Dawn of the Dead. Uh, I think it was a couple months ago. Um, And it's... The original? Yeah. And it's fucking ridiculous. That's the one at the mall, right? Um, I believe that is where they're held up. Yes. Yeah, they're at, like, a mall in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I I thought it was one of the most ridiculous movies I've ever seen. I did not expect what happened. I thought it was, like, a more highly regarded movie, but it was just ridiculous. I know I've seen the remake, and I was very afraid of it, and I thought it was good. But then we went back and watched the original, and I hated it. I did not like the original. I thought it was boring. I think I would change my mind if I watched it now. No, okay, I watched the yeah, remake. Yeah, the remake's terrifying. I watched the Zack Snyder remake. Yeah, it was not... Yeah, it's upsetting. Yeah! My biggest surprise in it was Modern Family Dad. There's so many dads in that movie, or show. You have to tell me which one. The the guy from Married with Children? The old guy? No, no, no. Phil? Yeah, Phil. Yeah, his name's Ty something. Ty, like, Burl or something like that. I didn't know he was in that either. I watched it 
probably in like 2009. It's one of those things I, I know I've seen it, but I can't really remember. I think the original is probably really well regarded just because it's one of the first movies that really uses that metaphor of like zombieism and capitalism. So, oh, you know what? I think that's what happened. Was I, um, I think I watched it and forgot that that was a remake. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the listener request slash Ryan's pick. So, this week we watched Jennifer's Body. You want to tell us about it? Let me tell you, I thought that I had watched this movie before, so I went back and watched it, and I definitely had not watched this movie, and it is not what I thought <laughs> it was, nor what I remembered what it was. That's actually great, because we're going to talk about probably the marketing and advertising for this movie. What did you think this movie was going to be? Um, I really thought it was going to make more sense. What? <laughs> Did you watch a different movie? I don't know. I understand that in marketing, they have to choose, you know, either comedy or horror. And I know that they went with horror to try to advertise. You know, there's plenty of scenes to do that. But I I didn't find a lot of comedy in this at all either. I thought the band was really funny. I thought their role in everything was funny. But I thought Jennifer's character was really all over the place. I'm disowning you. This is not the answer I wanted. I knew this is how it was going to go. But I, I really felt very different about this movie. I think that definitely speaks to the fact that this movie is definitely not for everybody and is definitely specifically geared towards one demographic. And that's not saying that if you're out of that demographic, you can't like it. But this movie is specifically steered towards girls. I'm not saying that as a boy, you can't like it, but it reminds me in the same way that um, Jordan Peele, for example, made Get Out for a Black audience. He's like, white people can watch it and like it, but it's not for them. And that's kind of how I feel about Jennifer's Body. I think it's made for a female audience or an audience that has gone through that female experience, especially in high school. I think other people can like it, but I don't think necessarily everybody is going to. I think it's good that we don't all three just like think this is the best movie ever made. I was reading through like Yabo Cody said specifically that she wrote it in the perspective of it being like a female empowerment movie. But I went in focusing on all of the movie aspects of like thinking about Jennifer's character as a person too much. To where, you know, she went in, had the awful ritual experience, but she came out just, like, ignoring it. And she got mad anytime her friend would, like, bring it up. Yeah, Diablo Cody had said, the direct quote from her is, I wrote it for girls, is what she said about this film. And I think you might, I don't know if you're underthinking it or overthinking it, but I think what they do with Jennifer is a pretty common thing in horror movies, where they take this traumatic experience and, like, this becoming evil and use it as a metaphor for coming of age. And I think they do it really well and maybe was just overthinking i think the point of jennifer's character is you're not really supposed to like her character but i think the bigger point is that 
it's showing you how nobody really deserves what happens to them, especially something as traumatic as what happened to Jennifer. But there's such a horror movie cliche that, especially if you're a woman, if you transgress, you are going to die. The male characters can be sexually active in the movie and that doesn't matter, but as soon as you are sexualized, as soon as you are not being the sweet little virgin, you're just slated to die in a horror movie. And so I think it's really interesting that they take the horror cliche and they use it to almost her dying first almost gives her power but even with that power she still exists under the male gaze so it's not like she undergoes something traumatic and it changes her character right if anything she came out stronger she was just like yeah whatever i'm eating boys now yeah and i think it's interesting that you might not like the movie as much as riley and i do when I told my boyfriend Michael that we were going to be watching this, his reaction was, oh, that movie? That movie was really bad. That was a really bad movie. And I was like, really? I've heard a lot of people like this movie. And then I watched it and I was like, okay, this is not going to appeal to him at all. I really related to this story. Okay. Because I think the main theme of this movie is the toxic relationship that happens in girl relationships and about how... At least it was for me in high school. My really close friendships, when you finally get to an age where you're semi-independent, are really strong. I was best friends with somebody in high school and into college that I did not see as a toxic relationship. And it was. And our relationship wasn't anything near what Needy's and Jennifer's is. But I'd gone through that. And when we had our falling out, it felt like a breakup. It was so intense. Riley knows I would like come home from college crying about it because it was so upsetting how I was being treated. So for me personally, I really related to this story, but I can see how maybe if you haven't had similar experiences, maybe you won't relate to it as much. That makes sense. I think they do a really good job of mixing the toxic friendship theme. They meld it in with the like questioning sexuality and the male abuse of power really well because you can see all of the like power dynamics that like the guys in the band are holding over Jennifer and Jennifer is doing the exact same thing to Needy and it's just really interesting to watch the dynamics between these characters. I did like that about the band though. They were very clearly and apparently having that relationship over her. They were just awful and like the world loved them. What do you think specifically about the waterfall scene where they're doing the ritual? I have so many feelings. (laughs) Um... I don't remember feeling a lot other than, like, I remember the scene being them just, like, so casual about it. And the the one guy holding the book was kind of hesitant, but you knew that it wasn't against it, seeing her, like, tied up there pleading for her life. But, you know, ultimately they're gonna do it because it's gonna benefit them. I think that's spot on. And I just love how they go on to, you know, be this famous band. Their music was a lot of the score of the movie, that they were just thriving even after they did this. It was just weird. This is the first time I'd ever seen this movie, and I knew the general premise that they thought she was a virgin, they sacrificed her, and then it went wrong. But I had assumed that, and I think I sent Riley a video while I was watching the movie because I was confused. I had assumed that ritual goes bad, Jennifer becomes a demon, and she kills them all. That's not really what happens. They don't have any negative consequences when Needy is doing research later. The research pretty much just says the sacrificer is still going to get the benefits, it's just the person being sacrifice that's gonna suffer and oh rough i picked up on that commentary and i I liked her relationship with the band i liked that part 
her sacrifice scene is pretty much just a clear rape allegory. They didn't want to put rape in the movie, but it is pretty much like a rape scene. Mm -hmm. That scene reminds me so much of the scene, the rain scene from A Clockwork Orange. When um, the main character is singing, singing in the rain, and they're about to rape this girl. That's exactly what that reminded me of. Never watched the movie. I've read the book, and that part was insanely disturbing in that, so I I don't want to watch it. The movie's fucked up. Yeah, the movie is definitely upsetting. It's just the whole not seeing that person as a person and more of a item. Oh, it's not good. Or something that will benefit you. Mm-hmm. How did you perceive it, Riley? I think that's the eeriest scene in the entire movie. Like Ryan said, how casual they are about it. And also, probably Megan Fox's like best performance in the movie is that scene. She's phenomenal in the entire thing, but just that scene, holy shit. But no, I think you're right also with how it's definitely a rape allegory because from then on, it seems like this is the downward spiral after some traumatic event like that happens to you. This is now she's becoming this like twisted person because of what these guys did to her. Yeah, I think that's really interesting too because I think this movie turns that on its head. The way rape is viewed in horror films when it's not just like rape and murder, it is viewed as an empowerment for the woman. This movie displays it more accurately for what it would be, which is it's traumatizing. You become desensitized. You become a different person. You're not going to be strong and be like, I'm going to stand up against rapists. No, you've you've gone under trauma. Mm -hmm. I watched the interview between Diablo Cody and Megan Fox for like the 10 year anniversary and Megan Fox specifically speaks of this scene as exactly what she was going through in Hollywood. For me, that was really reflective of, I felt like my relationship with the movie studios at that point, um, because I felt like that's what they were willing to do to literally bleed me dry. They didn't care about my health, my well-being, mentally, emotionally, physically at all. And they were willing to sacrifice me physically as long as they got what they wanted out of it. And it didn't matter how many times I spoke up and said, I'm hurting. This isn't right. I need someone to protect me. This is going on. Someone needs to listen. It didn't matter at all. Fuck. It's true. And she goes through the whole movie just kind of shoving it down real hard, but still living with the consequences of like, I gotta eat these boys to fulfill the need. That's really interesting, especially with the way that she's come out and said that people like Michael Bay have treated her in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Megan Fox in this movie, yeah, she is perfectly cast in this movie. I think Diablo Cody even said when she wrote this role, she wanted it to be Megan Fox. I think one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the movie is right before the dance when Jennifer is sitting in front of the mirror and she hasn't eaten in a while. So she's like pretty much withering away and she puts that makeup on her face as a girl like that broke my heart. I really like scenes like that. And I know they've done it before, like they've done it in Black Swan and I, Tanya as well. But it, it really is just very powerful, especially her having to like stare at herself and like reflect on what's going on in her life. It, it was pretty powerful. Yeah, and that picture of her before she was demonified, like her perfect self, and she just can't. She's trying so hard to live up to that version of herself because that's the only value she sees in herself is her beauty. Yeah, you can see how truly insecure she is throughout the entire film, especially with the power dynamic she's created between her and Needy. Like, there's no reason you would need that if you were not insanely insecure about yourself. 
I think at surface level, there is a lot that is missed. Hearing you guys break it down more, things do make more sense. But just, you know, going into it. I know exactly what you mean. And I think it is all about experience because I don't think someone who's grown up in like a male world and is male is going to maybe perceive some of the things that someone who is female has gone through. Because it's just a different set of experiences. Mm-hmm. And the way this movie was marketed was terrible. So, Ryan, do you remember any of the trailers for this movie when it came out? I know you were probably like a freshman in high school, I think. Yeah, it all really was like your stereotypical slasher trailers. Because of the way that they they aimed the movie at teen boys. Mm. I think one of the people at, I think Sony is who distributed the movie you know, had sent him this articulate defense of the film and here's how it should be marketed. And I I said, what specifically are you thinking? And he wrote back, Megan Fox hot, three words. That's not at all what the movie's about. So a bunch of teen boys went into it thinking like, oh, we're going to see Megan Fox take off her clothes and be a sexy demon. And that's just not what happens. (laughs) No, not at all. I mean, she is a sexy demon, but... Yeah, she spends most of the movie looking either demonified or, like, in her have-not-eaten-in-a-while, like, her paleness. I remember a lot of those scenes as being really, like, quick. I don't remember them playing into any of them. It was just, like, Megan Fox, boy, all right, she's eating him now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie does move at a quick pace. Yeah, I would have liked a little more played out. I think you're still right about the way that they advertise horror comedies, though. When this movie came out, I did not realize that it was a Diablo Cody movie, who I really liked Juno when it came out. I still do. And I think if I'd known that going in, I maybe would have realized what the tone of the movie was going to be before it started. So when I watched it for the first time back in, like, 2010, I just did not expect what I I saw. How did you feel about it then the first time you saw it? I loved it. I still love it. I hadn't watched it in probably 10 years, but I remember really liking it. And when I went back, I still really liked it. But I think like Cecilia said, if you have that experience growing up, like I am trans. So at one point I was like presenting as female. So in all of high school, I was kind of a teenage girl. Without that experience, I don't know how I would feel about it. So I think that's definitely why you are differing from us. And I think my expectations patients going in as well. Yeah, I could have sworn you saw the movie because when I came to visit on Halloween, we were going to watch Jennifer's Body and we were both very excited, but then we saw His House on Netflix had just come out, so we watched that instead, which was also phenomenal. Highly recommend. I believe I saw it once, but it was like maybe in the background, kind of just went over it. I have a question for everybody. Yeah. I think the perception of it has changed, but when it first came out, a lot of people thought that it was queer baiting what are your thoughts on that i have the thought can i say it oh and um if anybody is listening and doesn't know what that is it's essentially a show putting in characters to make them seem like they're queer to tease a queer audience to come see it but then they never pay off on it essentially is that a good descriptor of it yeah yeah i think that was perfectly fine but yes go ahead riley what was i gonna say Queer baiting. You want to talk about the kiss? The kiss in particular? Oh, yes. That is what I wanted to talk about, actually. So, you know that scene where Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried just make out? 
Yes. And you know how that was like most of the trailer. And I think the marketing team basically said like it's in their contracts, I think, that it had to be in the trailer. I know that Diablo Cody and Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried, they were very uncomfortable with that because they knew it was going to be taken out of context. I don't think it is queer baiting because one of the key themes in this movie is questioning sexuality. And I think that that scene is placed there to show you that there is this part of needy that is in love with Jennifer. If you look at that scene, I think Jennifer has a line that's like, do you want to play husband and wife or boyfriend, girlfriend like we used to? So you can see it's something that she knows about and she is using to hold over her head to keep this power dynamic that she has. I think it was taken out of context, over-sexualized in the trailer. I think in 2009, it was still hard to get away with stuff like that and just openly say that these characters are queer. So I don't think it was an intentional thing by the writer or the director. I think that it was just needy exploring those feelings and if you take that out of context that's on you i second that everything you said yeah so jennifer was really just she's manipulative taking advantage yeah it was between those two words yeah jennifer's interesting because she does use the kiss purely for manipulation but part of me also wonders if maybe she also has feelings for needy but can't accept it because of the male gaze that's placed upon her that's really interesting too especially because you see her once the ritual happens she is weaponizing sexuality and now she's doing it like outright with needy as well is that where the power dynamic comes from is she also interested and she's ashamed of it so she has to be like above her i don't know there's a lot to unpack there i would watch hours of diablo cody commentary on this movie it seemed like she was just doing whatever she wanted yeah that's what demons do i guess (laughs) that was another thing that was really weird to me there was no like demon dynamic it really just seemed like she was just going along with it and like everything was just whatever every time needy would bring it up she's just like shut up it's fine why is this such a big deal at one point she's literally like gaslighting needy about what is going on yes i think it's that same scene where the kiss happens because she tells her everything that happened during the ritual and needy's like so you're eating people she's like no what are you talking about just boys well yeah boys aren't people sorry right <laughs> no no she goes both ways remember I am going to eat your soul and shit it out, Mickey! Thought you only murdered boys. I go both ways. Yeah, Ryan, what the hell? You said this movie wasn't funny? You didn't find this movie funny? Not particularly. I didn't catch a lot of it. There was a lot of really funny one-liners in this movie. I absolutely love that Diablo Cody didn't write these high schoolers to be like, sometimes I feel like high schoolers are written to be way more intelligent than what like we actually were at that time. Yeah, we were idiots. Like looking back on it, some of the things I did and said, I was a dumbass. They really were strictly casting older people to be in high school before like 2015. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem too, is that like Luke Perry, he was like 30 when he was in 90210. Or you look at Greece. Oh yeah, look at Greece. They were in their 40s, or at least they looked like it. So I think you expect them to be more mature because you're seeing an older person. I think that's a lot of the problem with like Pretty Little Liars and shows like that where they have the relationship between the, the teacher and the student and you know it's wrong, but the actors are appropriate ages, so it doesn't like click right away. But that's a whole other tangent. I feel like I went in with the wrong perspective of everything. To be fair, we also do, we do a lot of research before we talk about these movies. I didn't know where to start. 
Going back to talking about the movie exploring sexuality, I think as far as Jennifer goes, the only reason I lean towards thinking that she, whether she is like bi or like a lesbian or like she's queer, I think it's really interesting that after she gets sacrificed, the first place she goes isn't home to her mom or her family. It's to Needy's. And I think that's fascinating. I think that's really telling. I think it's really reflective of how relationships between teenagers girls really are because there's this very very fine line between platonic and romantic and at least in my own life it is always like teetered between that like I specifically think about seventh grade okay I just remember like just being really close to all my friends like I remember like you and I Riley I think it was seventh grade where we would literally talk on the phone every night for like an hour I mean I feel like that's still how we are I just watched two movies with you the other night we talked for like four (laughs) hours we've never made out no no not yet not what <laughs> well i guess we but, can't be queer baiting them but what are we doing i remember like summer like we would either always hang out or like Rosalind and i would hang out like it was never like i'd be like i'm gonna mm-hmm. stay home alone i'd be like let me call a friend and now i'm just like i just want to be home alone for like just like a week yeah i feel like that for me was also codependency and now i'm just like let me hide and not talk to anyone for a full week because i had too much social interaction as a middle schooler Ryan, are your relationships with your guy friends that intense? I don't really have a lot of cis guy friends. Me either. Yeah, I can only really think of like three, and one of them is Ryan. (laughs) I'm personally not like that. I do notice a lot of dudes, they have their big groups, and they'll all be out in their button-up shirts, and their their slip-ons, it's called their docks. What? <laughs> no, they're group chats, they're bros. I only talk to Rick, and sometimes we'll talk for a while. And how intense is your... Does that ever teeter on the romantic side? Are you and Rick gonna make out? Has it ever come up? Rick comes on to me. Okay. But I never return that energy. I'm like, alright, dude. I feel like cis-straight dude relationships are not as intense. Like, you guys are just normal friends. No, yeah. And you can go, like, weeks without talking and it not be an issue. Yeah, exactly. That's how most relationships I know is like we'll just hang out together maybe with other people and we just do dumb shit like we have since high school and then we'll just go our separate ways and then he just came to philly for a minute where it was like i just saw him yesterday yeah it's really interesting thinking about the difference between two girls in a relationship or like in a friendship and the difference in the friendship and like guys i wonder if it's more of because of the fact that we tell boys they are not allowed to like cry or anything so they're just not allowed to be more expressive with their emotions oh everything really does patriarchy man yeah it all just boils down to the patriarchy man toxic masculinity misogyny all of it is bad that's been a big part of like rick and i's relationship is me telling him like bro it's you know it's okay and he like never wants to open up and then emily like someone an outside person was just like hey dude it's okay to have feelings and feel things so recently he's just been like oh my god i i feel like i have these like repressed traumas and now i'm like feeling things and talking about them and i'm like it's like exploding out of him all at once and then i don't know how someone shoved that down for so long and like he would tell me you know what i thought was his intimate feelings or thoughts when really that was it was like a muffled version and i think you have a really different experience with that because you grew up with four now three sisters the repression that happened in your life i think was caused by 
the male figures in your life, like our former stepdad type person, Mm -hmm. your cousin, who literally every time you like got hurt or something, you're not allowed to cry, you're a boy. Our dad, who was also like that. That's really interesting because I know Rick's got just a brother and then... I don't know much about his dad. Yeah, his dad's the same way, just, like, closed off. Apparently his dad was, you know, real close with our dad. I think I did know that. They were, like, best buds. Yeah, right. that makes sense. theme in my life has been uh, older men who are close to me are going to either emotionally or physically hurt me. Or both. Read my screenplay. Whereas girls, we just hurt each other emotionally. What do you think is worse? Emotional! Emotional, because physical scars can heal. Yeah, I have so much trauma. I have so much trauma that I had to start writing a fucking, like, screenplay about it. I hate it. (laughs) Right, it's like, Jake hurt me physically, and I don't give a shit, because he's a dumb fuck. Yeah, has not grown as a person at all. But Jeff was... Oh, Jeff was very manipulative and emotionally abusive. What a fucking nightmare. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, he told me at one point that he knew what he was doing. He straight up that, like, I'm manipulative. It's like, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm aware. I'm here. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. We started talking about trauma. What else do you want to talk about with this movie? No, speaking about trauma, Jennifer never physically hurts Needy. She does, like, shove her a couple times, but she doesn't, like, she doesn't eat her. She doesn't, like, slash her or anything. But she is constantly, like, emotionally attacking Needy. The line that comes to mind is right after the ritual happens, the sacrifice happens, they're at school the next day, and Needy is trying to, like, talk to Jennifer about what happened the night before. Jennifer just goes, What is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Besides the obvious surface flaws. Fucking (laughs) harsh. And it's all about manipulation too, but she's not interested in Colin until Needy's like, Colin's a great guy. And then she goes after Chip, who is Needy's boyfriend. Oh man, the part with Colin was so upsetting because you know as the viewer that once Needy says he's a great guy, that has solidified in Jennifer's mind that she's like, well, if Needy likes him, she can't have him. So I'm going to kill him. Like, God, poor Colin. He was such a nice guy. The only person Needy needs in her life is me. She is going to make that so. I don't think I noticed that watching the movie either, that Needy was her emotional support. But at the same time, it's like she just kind of fed off of her. But she could never, Needy could never be above her at the same time. Well, they do a good job of explaining that in the scene where Jennifer says that I'm going to this bar, you're coming with me, wear something that looks cute. Yeah, And she goes into like, this is what that means in Jennifer speak. I need to look good, but I cannot upstage her. Yeah, she's just like, tits are Jennifer's thing. I can show like stomach, but I can't show cleavage. The dynamic between those two is so interesting. What did you guys think about their, like, psychic connection? For example, when Jennifer kills Colin, Needy feels it. And there's a lot of different moments in the movie where they don't really explain it, but they're, like, very, very much connected. I mean, even the moment when Jennifer starts attacking Chip, Needy feels it and goes to save him. I didn't really think about that. Hmm. I haven't thought about this one. Yeah. Because it happens before Jennifer even becomes a demon. When Needy is getting ready to look cute to go to the bar, she looks at Chip and goes, Jennifer's here. And he's like, what are you talking about? And then you hear her downstairs. Oh, she does do that. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. 
I don't know. They might have a blood pact. (laughs) Okay, please expand on that. The first time I watched it, I didn't understand why it was in the movie. But then the second time I was like, I wonder if that's why. The moment when Needy flashes back to them in the sandbox and Jennifer has that thumbtack in her thumb and Needy pulls it out and kisses it. I was like, oh, which is interesting for girls because I think, I mean, blood and menstruation is such a part of being female. I think that being the thing that connects them, I think fits into the like feminine themes of the movie. Okay, that's a thought. I don't know. I guess I was chalking it up to just teenage girls are more empathetic to things. You can like give a knowing look to any woman and she will know what it means. Like if someone's like being annoying or like hassling you and you like look, give like that look to another woman, she'll be like, oh yeah, I gotcha. I know what this means. It's like secret girl code almost. It's like the classic thing of they say men are just more blunt and straightforward. So they're bad at reading cues and signs. Whereas I think it's not so much, I don't think it's a biological thing. Like if you're born female, you were just like, I can sense the universe. I think it's just the fact that girls are just raised differently. And so you're a lot more aware of your surroundings. I was about to say, yeah. Ryan, did you have any thoughts on that? Girls being able to pick up signs easier than men. Yeah, I'm saying that's very taught as well. Like men being more blunt or like stereotypically, there are like signs of like the looks and like just subtle hints that are more apparent to other people. Yeah, I think it's a lot different if you're like socialized as a female, you don't notice it as much. And Ryan, no offense, I think just as a person, you are a bit oblivious to things like that. Oh yeah. I don't know if it's because you were like socialized male or just because you're kind of aloof i think it's a little of both part of me kind of wonders if maybe the reason that girls quote unquote can read signs better is more of because females are taught that there's danger around every corner so you have to always be aware yeah i'll watch videos or i'll tell michael something that he'll go wait what like i told him I'm like hey you know like if i'm by myself i will normally park next to the cart like return and he was like what why and i'm like well that way you know a van can't come up beside me and take me or if i run i can't run with both my headphones in because i need to be able to hear if anyone's coming up behind me these are conscious things that like i don't have to think about like i walk everywhere in philadelphia because i can emily and sammy will be like you know wow you you walked over there and then they're like oh wait you're a man like i don't have to think about these things park by the cart corral too but it's only because i get lost in the parking lot all the time and i need to know how to find my car (laughs) i'm just really done hey that's fair I have no sense of direction. That's so funny. I'm so sorry. I feel like we've had this conversation before. <laughs> so many times. Okay. I feel so bad every time. I mean, it's I'm not like, mm. necessarily okay, but it's one of those things that like, you know, if change is going to happen, it's not going to happen quickly. So protect yourself. I try to be more conscious about it too. Like even at work, someone was waiting for a lift outside and I was just like, I'll wait here with you. Like it'll, it'll be a minute. I'm not going to let you stand here out on the street in the dark alone. Yeah, but then would they think you're the creep? And I'm like, oh, this fucking weirdo is going to stand here and wait and follow me home. Probably not if it's people you work with. Right. I, I really hope I do not come across as that. And, like, I won't feel offended if someone does. Yeah, I try not to take those things personally as a cis, straight, white man. Right, like, there's even privilege in that. It's like, oh, does this person think I'm creepy? And then the, you know, female person on the other side is like, is this guy gonna murder me? One of my favorite jokes is that John Mulaney joke that he tells that, like, he was trying to catch the subway and there was a girl in front of him and she started walking fast and so he was like, oh, I wonder if the train's coming so he starts walking fast behind her and so she starts running and he starts running because he thinks the train is coming. I didn't even consider the fact 
fact that she thought I was chasing her. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's so upsetting. I think the same thing would happen in my mind, but only because in my head, I'm like, I'm not a man. They shouldn't be afraid of me. And I'm like, oh, wait, on the outside, it's not. That's not what's happening. Yeah, male passing. Yeah. I have a question. Do you guys think the scissors are rated R rating? I don't think so. I don't think there's anything explicit enough in it to... I mean, there's gore, but... And even that, I think, wasn't too much. Um... There's just some blood. Hold on, let me look... I'm gonna get on IMDb, and I'm gonna look up why... Is there swearing? Yeah, that's what I was gonna look. Well, you can say shit, like, four times. You can say fuck twice. Yeah. (laughs) I can only really remember a couple graphic scenes rated r for sexuality bloody violence language and brief drug use drug use because they're drinking is there something besides drinking do they do heroin i don't remember if they do does anyone smoke jennifer swims naked in a lake we can only see her shoulders though and she was wearing like a nude swimsuit when they were filming that so you wouldn't have seen anything either way yeah and like all the sex scenes like even between needy and chip you cannot see anything you can only see like their shoulders up yeah with the gore i really don't think there's that much in comparison to like other pg-13 movies i wish there was more i wanted to see her rip them apart right like if you're gonna do it do it let's go for it i don't think i watched the unrated version maybe there's more in that i looked into the unrated version version a little bit it seems like they just extended a couple scenes but there wasn't anything they really added in i don't think there's any more gore or anything like that i wonder why it did get such a high rating i don't think i realized it was rated r girls they're like how dare those girls have sex r rating honestly maybe i like that you guys dissect every movie puts more perspective into it but like i watched this movie with three other women who have dealt with you know the same upbringing and like being raised and they also did not see what you guys saw. They saw the exact same thing that I saw. That's why I didn't think more into it even after or during the fact. Like, I I knew it was Diablo Cody right before I watched the movie because, like, I didn't know how much I wanted to look up a little bit and know a bit more of, like, what people were saying about it when it came out. And, like, I guess I just didn't find the right things. But that's why this new perspective has me thinking, like, okay, like, I see those things and they are portrayed in a pretty decent way but like i think a lot of people didn't see that as well because the other people in the room with me who should have gotten it didn't was this their first time watching it as well yes did they have any expectations going in probably the same expectations as most other people did from the trailers is okay i think that's part of the issue she's megan fox she's hot she's gonna eat some guys yeah i think that's part of the issue and i also wonder if part of it is the way that we are trained to watch horror movies as much as it's improving, the horror industry is still a very male-dominated thing. I don't really think you're supposed to view any of the characters, even Needy, very well in the movie. So I wonder if it's just more of a... <laughs> we're looking at a movie that's about the male gaze through a male gaze. Yeah. Mm. Which is all sorts of inception. That's a good point. And I, I do think a big part comes down to the marketing. That's a big issue. There have been some movies that I've seen that I feel like the only reason I didn't like them are because of how it was marketed marketed to me the biggest example i can think of and i haven't gone back and revisited it but i really want to is the witch because i hated the witch when i first saw it and now i wonder if i would like it more because our friend brandon was in the same boat that i was because we went and saw it together and now he loves it so i'm wondering if i was just expecting something 
so different that when I didn't get that, I was not happy. And I think it is disheartening. You don't see Jennifer kill the band. I think a lot of people thought that she was going to kill the band who tried to sacrifice her. And I think the fact she didn't maybe rubbed people the wrong way, but that's life. Like she wouldn't actually get revenge on them. It made more sense to me that she didn't. Yeah. And that they were glorified. And that seems to be what happens all the time in Hollywood and in real life. Like there are so many people who this happens to them by well-known people and they don't end up coming out about it with the Me Too movement and a lot of people coming out against well-known celebrities, Bill Cosby and Woody Allen and, you know, people who've just gotten away with it for years. I think that's finally starting, you know, they're finally starting to get, I don't want to say their revenge, but they're, what's a better word? Consequences? Yeah. These people are actually like meeting their consequences. I think it works well with Needy avenging Jennifer. I really like Needy getting powers instead of becoming like Jennifer. She's just like, no, fuck those guys who do this to my best friend. Not only upended her life, but upended my life. A really good example of that recently is the same thing that happens in Promising Young Woman. Oh, spoilers for Promising Young Woman. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't think you could garner if you haven't seen it what, what you mean by that, but I'm just doing a spoiler here so we can actually talk about it. And I completely agree with you because our main character doesn't survive. Well, and our main character is not the victim of said assault, but because of what happens to her friend and how it completely destroys her life, it's affecting her as well. And I don't think when the band kills Jennifer, they're not thinking about how it's going to affect her, how it's going to affect her family, her friends. They only care about themselves. And that's the same thing that's happening with these rape victims is sometimes it gets so bad and you're so traumatized that you kill yourself. And they don't care because they've still got their success if nobody comes out and says anything about it. Well, it's the whole Brock Turner thing where, what was it, his dad came out and said, like, why should he be punished for, like, 20 minutes of action? I'm like, yeah, his 20 minutes of action completely ruined that woman's life. And now she has to pick up the pieces of what he broke while he gets no punishment. The point of them calling that movie promising young woman is because the judge in the Brock Turner case said that he was a promising young man and that they didn't want 20 minutes of his actions to ruin his whole life. But that's what it did to that poor woman. What do you guys think about the fact that Needy has to kill Jennifer in the end? And I really love the slow-mo like of them floating and then falling down on the bed and her stabbing Jennifer. What were your interpretations of that scene? Ryan, you go first. What do you think? I'm going to go on a limb here and, and say it's a big metaphor Ooh. of her friend having to pick up the pieces and deal with this for her. Okay. Needy has to be the one to end it. Jennifer's not, she's not going to deal with it. She's dead to the world herself. She's just out here doing whatever. And Evie's like, you gotta stop. And she's like, no. So she's just doing what had to be done. You and I are going different directions with this because I saw it more as, especially in that scene, the only thing that seems to make Jennifer stop or pause for a second is Needy ripping off the, like, BFF necklace. So it seemed more like a metaphor for severing that friendship, and it was something that Needy had to do for herself to move on and become her own person and get out from under Jennifer's thumb. Okay, there we go. That makes more sense. What do you think, Cecilia? I think the movie is mostly about this toxic relationship. Anita is her name, but they literally call her Needy. And I think this is the only time that a name has been spot on, but I think it really works. It's not like, um, what's her name from, um, oh my God, what's that movie called? With the girl from Saved by the Bell. Oh, Nomi Malone. Showgirls? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, Nomi Malone, where you're like, okay. Nomi, I am alone. Yeah, I think it is a combination of, yeah, her finally severing this toxic relationship and cutting it off. And I really think that's the only moment in the movie once Jennifer becomes a demon that you ever see her really pause. It's the whole toxicness of like, this person will always be under my thumb. And her doing that, I think, was so shocking that it's what really gave me the opportunity to kind of end it. That whole scene. Great lines. You know what this is for? It's for cutting boxes. Do you buy all your murder weapons at Home Depot? God, you butch. And then she stabs her and she says, My dead. No, your heart. And then her mom walks in. It's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, this movie was fucking hilarious. It had some of the best one-liners. How did you not think it was funny? I am so mad. I think by that point I was checked out. I liked the scene from earlier when they're at the bar and Needy goes up to Jennifer. And the, uh, she's like, they think you're a virgin. She's like, what do you mean? I'm not even a backdoor virgin. Oh, God. And then she talks about sitting on a bag of peas. I think the dialogue in the movie, especially with Juno coming out, what, two years beforehand? It it was like culture changing the way that they talked and like portrayed teenage girls. I love the way that Diablo Cody writes dialogue. I love that they call each other Monistat and Vagisil. That is so funny. I could see myself doing that to my friends in high school. I never did that, but I think we like called each other like cunt and stuff like that. Like bitch and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It was just like term of lovingly somehow. I don't know if that's like uh, reclaiming those kind of words. Or if it was just, we thought it was funny. And I know that a lot of critics said that with Juno, they thought that she was portraying high schoolers as like too intelligent and too like adult-like. And then with this, they're like, well, they're too stereotypical. I'm like, can you guys just admit that you hate women and you're going to be mad no matter what Diablo Cody does? They tried to blacklist her from Hollywood for a while after this movie came out. I don't think that would happen to many male writers. I hate Hollywood. Yeah, it really broke my heart because when I watched the interview between Diablo Cody and Megan and Fox. Diablo Cody specifically talked about how, because I think at this point Twitter was just becoming really popular and she talked about how, like, she had peers, like, friends of hers that were bad-mouthing her on Twitter. I think it was also really interesting that Diablo Cody says that she very much views the relationship between Jennifer and Needy as her relationship between, like, Diablo Cody, her persona as a writer, and her real name, which is Brooke. And I had created this Diablo Cody persona to, sur to survive and to, to get attention, which is something that I desperately needed at that time in my life because mm -hmm. nobody ever listened to me. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly when I changed my name and started doing uncharacteristic things, suddenly for the very first time in my life, people were interested. It was definitely like a sort of autobiographical for me <laughs> writing that movie. And I thought that was fascinating because it is kind of like a she's like living a double life. Her scripts wouldn't really get published if she used the name Brooke. Yeah, it's like how a lot of female authors would use male pen names like Harper Lee. I have a question. It's more of trivia. Do you guys know what the title of the movie is a reference to? A song. It's a song by Hole on their 94 album Live Through This. And I just thought that was interesting because they referenced this album in Juno as well. When um, Juno and Mark are playing guitar and singing, they sing doll parts from the same album. Courtney Love is a questionable person, but I love Hole. That's a great album. Fascinating.
Speaking of the technical side of things, I think this movie is very beautifully shot. I think the cinematography is really pretty. I really like this director. I got really excited because when I looked up Karen Kusama directed this, I went to look up what else she had done and she directed The Invitation, which I love. Oh, it's so good. Ooh, I never watched that. I know you told me to. I think this movie holds up really well. It's not super old. It seems like they mostly did practical except for the things that just weren't going to be practical for filming. It looks pretty good. And I love the scene where Jennifer is hovering and Chip goes She can fly She's just hovering. It's not that impressive. But do you have to undermine everything that I do? You are such a player hater Especially because that's one of the powers that Needy gets. Yeah, it's nice foreshadowing and I like when Jennifer gets stabbed (laughs) She looks at Needy and she's like I got a tampon Thought I'd ask You seem like you might be plugging I would have wrote that line. This movie was so funny. Yeah, I forgot how good the movie looked. You know what my favorite shot is in the whole movie is the football field, where they're zooming into the football player standing on the football field. It works so well. I don't know why. I actually really like how the movie was shot. I didn't think anything was cut too fast or they dragged on anything for too long. I thought the lighting was all very appropriate. I have no problem with the cinematography of the movie. I think that was actually done really well. The scene of her swimming in the lake is really pretty. I also really like the scene where Colin gets to where Jennifer has told him to go and it's like completely dark except for the one light. I had really wondered what it meant when Needy kind of got Jennifer's powers after everything had happened because how I interpreted it was, you know, she is the one who has to deal with the ramifications of Jennifer's actions in the end. You know, she's the one in jail afterwards, but she's actually continuing on this pattern, but using her newfound powers a little differently. So I just wondered if that had any sort of significance or I was even remotely close on that. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, it does really seem like she's suffering Jennifer's consequences by the end of it. I think it's a mark of even if you've had this really toxic relationship, part of it stays with you. Like you can recover from it. Maybe it'll even make you stronger, but it's still always going to be a part of you. Yeah. And I love that my second rewatch, I caught it. There are hints that she has these powers from the very beginning of the movie, but they just kind of shove them off so you don't really notice them. When she kicks that nurse who's trying to get her like nutritional information, she goes flying. The second rewatch, you're like, oh fuck, she already has powers. Or she goes and she hits that tether ball, but it's played for laughs like it's bad equipment, but it's just that she's really strong. Yeah, how do you knock a whole tetherball off unless it's, like, tied on with floss? I love that Needy gets part of Jennifer's power, though. Finally, like, becomes her own person and gets her own power, and she's just like, I know what I'm gonna use it for. Revenge. Maybe that's what it is, though. It's just her taking Jennifer's power from her, like, the power she held over her. Yeah, I like that telling, too, yeah. She's very mousy at the beginning, and she kind of, like, starts taking no shit. Because as toxic as Jennifer is, one thing you can say about her is she takes nobody's shit. And I like that. She's, like, very sure and insecure all at the same time. It's a really interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, it's like a mask that she's putting on to hide how insecure she is about it just by overcompensating. I don't remember what exactly they're talking about. I think it's one of the people have died and like J.K. Simmons' teacher character is telling them about something. And she just goes, oh my god, who cares? In front of the whole class. (laughs) 
Like, Jennifer, we know you're the one murdering them, but, like, chill out. I also really like that scene where they're having that, like, fight in the pool room, and I think Needy says something about her being insecure. Oh, she says, like, you had to attack Chip because you were that insecure. I am not insecure, Needy. God, that's a joke. How could I ever be insecure? I was the snowflake queen. Yeah, like, you can see how upset that it makes her because she's, it's right on the nose. Because she's so insecure. And no one's pointed it out to her before. Can I just say my favorite cameo of the whole movie was not J.K. Simmons, but Lance Hendrickson, who is at the very end. He is the guy who picks Needy up in the car when she gets out of the asylum. And if you are familiar with aliens, or if you've seen Pumpkinhead, so he's the dad in Pumpkinhead, and he plays um, the, like, android in Aliens. That's the dad from Pumpkinhead? I didn't even notice. Yep. That movie's awful. God, listening to you guys talk about Pumpkinhead was so funny. That movie's ridiculous. That's so bad. I did not expect it to be that bad. I thought it was going to be scary. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Definitely one of the top moments. I love the credit scene where they're like crime scene photos. I love it. It's just so satisfying. And I love the first scene where Jennifer comes back after the place is burned to the ground and Needy's in her house. Jennifer's there and she eats that chicken. Oh my god. Yeah, she's (laughs) eating the rotisserie chicken off of the floor and Needy's like, my mom got that. She told us not to eat it. (laughs) That was really funny. You know what my favorite part of the whole movie was? It made me go fucking crazy. The first line, hell is a teenage girl, is one of the best lines from any movie. That's good. Yeah, it's a good line. Oh, so good. Just starting the movie like that was like, now I'm fucking pumped. Okay. I'm pumped. (laughs) I wrote down the quote and then I just wrote down, whoa, yeah, buddy. (laughs) I got got so excited. I would like to go through some of my favorite lines. There's that line that when Colin's asking Jennifer out, he's like, you want to go see Rocky Horror? And she's like, I don't like boxing movies. <laughs> that was funny. And then she's like, you want to watch Aquamarine? It's about this girl who is like half sushi or something. I think she has sex through her blowhole. <laughs> oh my God. I love this movie. <laughs> and I just love that she says it so confidently. Like she just doesn't care. Well, especially because she's going to murder him. It's like, it doesn't matter what I say to this dude. They do a really good juxtaposition during the sacrifice scene where it's both upsetting, but like how the band is acting is also kind of funny. Like he pulls out that knife. He's like, it's a Bowie knife. And he's like, Bowie. Nice. Bowie. (laughs) I think that was my favorite scene was the sacrifice scene that had the most impact. It's very upsetting. I do like how they're singing the Jenny 675309 song. They're just so casual about it. That was really funny. Damn, the whole movie is my favorite part of the movie. You want to jump into ratings? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, Ryan, general rating and 1 to 10 horror struck rating. Go. My general rating of the movie going into it when I watched it was a 4 out of 10. Because at surface level, it really did not do a lot for me. But re-talking about it with you guys on an, in a new perspective, shedding more light, I'm at a 6.5. Okay. Because, like I said, at surface level, it really did not, it wasn't apparent to me. I felt like I was kind of like coasting through the movie, expecting a lot of different things, and then them just not happening. At a horror struck level nothing was you know scary to me even the like her eating them there was nothing that really made me think like oh whoa that's creepy it was just like yeah she's got some teeth and there's some blood so that's uh that's like a two out of five riley what were your ratings general rating for this film i'm giving it four out of five stars and it got one star taken away because i don't think the dialogue is aging super well some of it just with the way we used to be so casual about saying 
some slurs. That's true. But otherwise, it's great. And I know that it was, like, 2009. I am guilty of saying things like that in high school. So I don't think I realized at the time, but it was kind of, like, a reality check for me watching it. Otherwise, I think it's great. I think the movie's really interesting. The themes are great. Megan Fox is phenomenal in this movie. And I don't think she gets credit for that. Because in basically every other movie, yeah, everything else she's been in, like the Transformers movie, it was just based around, like, oh, this is a sexy girl to be sexy in our movie. But they gave her so many layers in this that give Megan Fox an Oscar. Fuck you guys. Didn't they just get rid of her like after the first movie? I don't think so. She was in like four of them, right? And then she was finally like, I hate you, Michael Bay. She was in the first two and then she spoke out about her treatment in the movie and she wasn't invited back to be in the third one. And suspiciously, a letter came out that was from the crew that worked on Transformers that she was like a prima donna Mm. and hard to work with, but there wasn't any name signed to it and it was also published under my Michael Bay's, like, website? I don't buy it. She seems like a sweetheart. Also, one of the best music videos of last year was MGK, who she is dating. His Bloody Valentine music video, great song. She's the highlight of the video. It's very fun, if anyone is interested. Just ties him up and fucks with him the whole time. They're so cute, though, and they're just having so (laughs) much fun. I love them. It looked fun. It looked like she was having a lot of fun. Yeah, it seems nice. I really hope we're gonna get, like, a Megan Fox resurgence. Mm-hmm. I think it's starting. I hope so. She's starting to actually be who she is and not America's hot girl. Yeah, like, let her be a real person. She's allowed to be hot and be a human being. Anyway, I'm sorry, I ranted about how much I love Megan Fox. Um, horror struck rating. The effects are good. The thought of being kidnapped by this band is pretty frightening. I'm gonna give it a 2 out of 10. Cecilia. Cool, my turn. Yeah, go. General rating, I'm gonna give this like an 8.5 out of 10. I really liked it. I agree with you on some of like, I think some of the like verbiage, yeah, doesn't really hold up to today, but I think it is also one of those things where it's, you know, of its time as far as some of the like termage goes. But I really like this movie. I can completely see why some people might not like it as much because I think it is a movie that is, it is geared toward a specific demographic and other people outside of that can like it, but it's not necessary. Like I say all the time, you know, movies are subjective and movies aren't for everybody. And then horrorstruck rating, I'm going to give it a 2 out of 10 also. And that is because of the band scene is so upsetting to me. It was very emotional for me. <laughs> very upsetting. Yeah, nothing else really scared me. I had a good time though. I think out of that scene is what I wanted the rest of the movie to feel like. Because I did feel that like horror comedy embodied in that scene. It was the lead dude being a dick about it. And he's like, hurry up and get this done. Like, let's kill her. So we can be rich and famous and you know the rest of the dudes just kind of standing around being like haha yeah okay so you just wanted it to be like more nonchalant horror where like it happens but we're not even acknowledging that it's really happening yes i liked that fact that like these very dark grim things are happening you're absolutely right it's insinuating like a rape scene this asshole is all about it and you know all of his friends 
friends are just going to sit there and do it because what the fuck is it, you know, for them? It doesn't affect them at all. They're not getting anything bad out of this. They're just getting something good. I think that humor that you're looking for is why we all three, I think, really like the movie You're Next. Mm-hmm. Love it. Because I think that kind of humor is like the the person is dead on the bed and the girlfriend's like, do you want to have sex next to this dead body? And the guy's like, what the fuck? No. And she's just like, you're no fun. I think that's like the kind of humor you were looking for is like in that movie. I love when they're antagonizing each other when they're getting shot by like arrows through the window. So funny. I love that movie. I mean, I think the best horror comedy is probably Evil Dead 2. It's just so good. <laughs> it's over the top. Yeah, it's so over the top, which is why I think it really works. I don't remember liking it. I think you would like it more now. We're gonna need to watch it soon, because I don't remember liking it, but I also don't think I realized what it was. Did you watch the new Evil Dead? I did. I liked it. I know a lot of people had problems with it, because it was less of a comedy. It was more along the lines of, like, the first Evil Dead, where it was more of, like, a horror film as opposed to a comedy. But I liked it. And I liked the series Ash vs. the Evil Dead. I watched the first episode, and I was like, this is really goofy and cheesy. Oh, yeah. I can understand the appeal, but, like, I just was like, okay, I don't know if I can commit to this. I completely understand that, yeah. Yeah. I love the new Evil Dead, the end, where she is just like, there's that blood storm. That's mm-hmm. so great. It's just the so abomination great. is t- terrifying yes i think that movie's perfect i think that's another movie that suffers from expectations because people were going and expecting it to be something like evil dead 2 and that's not really what it was doing would you guys like to play a game show This game is called, Are They Possessed or Just Rude? All right, how do we play? All right, so I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation, and you are going to tell me if this person is possessed by a demon or just rude. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, after getting in a car crash, the EMT sticks their finger into your open wound and declares that you are not strong enough to grow skin back on your own. Are they a demon or just rude? I'm going with possessed. That's not something. Does he have gloves on? No. Oh, he doesn't have gloves on. Oh, he's possessed. That's against code. All right. Final answer. Both of you, he's possessed. Uh Uh-huh. You are correct, and he is going to now take over your body, grow back your skin, but it's not going to matter because you're possessed by a demon now. Oh, cool. Yeah, that would be fun for you. Yeah, I'm excited. Hypothetical number two. While at the gym, someone comes into your shower stall and asks if they can shower with you because they don't want you to be alone. Before you can answer, they start shampooing your hair. Are they a demon or just rude? Oh, that's a man for sure. Rude. No follow-up questions? No, my immediate thought is just this is a creepy old man. You're both right. They're just rude and super horny, I guess. I've got one more. I'm doing so good. I'm very excited. At summer camp, your bunk mate crawls into your bed and falls asleep directly on top of you, despite your protests. In the morning, when you confront them, they reply, Stop being so dramatic. Are they a demon or just rude? Okay, so I've got a couple thoughts. My initial thought is rude, but I'm very impressed by their ability to fall asleep on top of you while you're probably screaming at them. So it makes me lean towards possessed. I'm leaning towards possessed. I'm thinking of uh, Jennifer situation where things are just happening for her just like what's your problem i'm gonna lean towards possessed because i think if anybody can fall asleep that easily they must have a demon living inside of them (laughs) something supernatural and it is wrong it's not even the act of them laying on top of you it's just their ability to go to sleep okay so you're both going with possessed by a demon Mm -hmm. yes 
Incorrect. Damn! They are a chronic sleepwalker with narcolepsy, and their mom let out a news bulletin about it before camp, so you're the rude one. Oh, man. Yeah, your mom forgot to read it to you. That's impressive. And you're a jerk now. And it was the first day of camp, and now everyone's going to be really mean to you. I feel like that was a trick question. That was all I got. That was fun. I like it. We did pretty good. Two out of three. Yeah, two out of three was good. I did do a couple would-you-rathers if that was too quick. Yeah. Yeah, let's do some would-you-rathers. All right, so horror would-you-rathers. Would you rather camp out in the woods from the Evil Dead or the Blair Witch Project? Blair Witch Project. Yeah, Blair Witch. Evil Dead is maliciously coming at you. I feel like you can get away from the witch a little, uh, she'll fuck with you, but Evil Dead demons would just kill you. The Evil Dead demons, yeah, they just want to take over your body. They don't care. Whereas the Blair Witch is all about just not being fucking rude. And so, like, don't move her stone piles. Don't take her arts and crafts down. (laughs) You leave her alone, she'll leave you alone. Yeah, all right, valid points. Riley, what would you pick? Oh, um... Probably the Blair Witch, just because I haven't seen the other movie in a really long time, so I don't remember it. But yeah, I'm pretty not rude. I think I'd be fine. I think me and the Blair Witch would find our love of crafts a very, like, bonding factor, so I feel like we'd become friends. Yeah, you would just make, like, stick piles. Next question. Would you rather open your door to the group from The Strangers or from The Purge? And this is The Purge 1, those weird Republican kids that were there to kill them. I think I'm leaning towards The Purge purge just because i feel like if you could get the better hand like you're not gonna have to go through a court trial Mm, mm -hmm. because everything's legal and i think they seem to operate in the way like a lion pack does like if i take down the leader i might be able to to become the leader of their group they seem dumb yeah that's what i was gonna say you said that in such a roundabout way i could just point and say look homeless person and then run away and the strangers they're more clever yeah yeah they're scary All right, I've got two more. So, would you rather try to escape from one of Jigsaw's traps or from the cave from the descent? Ooh. I feel like I'd have a better chance of coming out alive from Jigsaw puzzle. Like, what, I gotta cut my eyeball out? Those other things will rip me apart and eat me. Okay, that's fair. I would pick the descent and only because I feel like if I were in either of those situations I'm not gonna make it so at least in the descent they eat you pretty fast (laughs) you have a chance being stealthy it's just like a bad thing that happens whereas if you're in a trap and saw it's because you're a shitty person okay so you don't want to learn lessons from being a shitty person you want a monster to eat you yeah I think I don't think I'd survive a jigsaw I don't think you've done anything I don't think I'd survive a jigsaw trap so I think I'd rather just go quickly and I think they would rip your intestines out and like cut your throat so fast that you would be dead very fast. Or maybe they're not even real and you can escape because you're not friends with that girl who is murdering all of the rest of her friends. Or you get trapped in the cave forever until you starve to death. Well you've got all those like deer carcasses to eat. Mm-hmm. It'd be fine. What would you pick? Me? Oh I'm gonna pick the cave because I, I don't think those monsters were real and I can finally get some peace and quiet. <laughs> That's a great perspective of the movie. I hadn't thought of that. Did you ever view yourself as Gollum? You know, not until right now. (laughs) But it's not the worst comparison. Okay, I have one more question, and I want you to both think very hard about it. Would you rather make out with Pennywise from It or Pinhead from Hellraiser? I feel like Hmm. Pinhead has better teeth. Oh, man. Hold on. I gotta look and see, like, where the pins are on Pinhead's face. I don't know if there's any... They're everywhere. I know they're everywhere, but I need to see if there's any around his mouth, because that'll determine my fact, my my choice. 
Oh, yeah, he's got them all around his mouth. That's a no-go. I'm going to go ahead and pick Pennywise. You're going to make out with Pennywise? Well, because he's never made out with any of the kids or, like, any of the adults. So maybe that's because he's not in love with them. So it could be, like, a Beauty and the Beast thing <gasps> where I could turn him into a good person. You think he'd make it weird the whole time? Oh, yeah, would he make it real weird? Probably. To be fair, I'm also very weird. So I feel like that's fine. Like, he'd do that weird eye thing and I'd be like, oh, Pennywise, you're so silly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I like that answer. Maybe he'll turn back into a normal man. He's like a frog, and you're the princess. He just needed that little bit of compassion. He can shapeshift, right? So technically, he could, like, if we're in a relationship, I could have him shapeshift in whatever I wanted him to shapeshift into. Yeah, he could just be a hottie all the time instead of that fucking terrifying clown. Which version are you making out with, though? The Bill Skarsgård or Tim Curry? Either. Either? Okay. Ooh, which one do I prefer? I kind of prefer Tim Curry's. His forehead isn't as big. That's kind of (laughs) nice. All right. Have fun explaining that to Michael. Who do you pick? Honestly, I'm going to pick Hellraiser too. Maybe it's like acupuncture and I can just take the pins out before we make out. I don't want to go anywhere near a clown. Any clown. You just got to be real careful with it. Take it slow with him. If you're into S&M, maybe Pinhead's the way to go because that's kind of what all their, the Cenobites, that's what their look is based on. Okay, I guess I'll just have to get some weird kinks and I'll be fine. I love the character design. Or discover ones that you already have and just don't know about. That's true. I might be having some hidden feelings already. Maybe that's why I asked that question. Who knows? I love all of the character design in at least the first one. Like, I think my favorite is the guy with, like, no eyeballs. His mouth is just open. Yeah. I think the first one's a great movie. Well, thank you, Ryan, so much for being on and recommending this movie that you've never seen before. (laughs) None of this went the way that I expected at all. It turned out really good. It gave us a lot of interesting things to talk about. I really like this movie. I'm really glad you picked it. I'm glad, and I guess with this new lens, I'll have to re-watch the movie and rethink about it. When I was looking it up, I was reading an article real quick, too, that was like, this movie is a really big staple in the Me Too movement and, like, a big feminist cult group currently. So I didn't realize the impact of the message in this movie, and I was also subjected to how society made me think of it prior. I'm the victim here. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would go back in with this new perspective, because that happens to me a lot, too, when we talk about a movie sometimes. I'll realize that I liked it a lot more than I realized or that it was a lot worse than I realized, like specifically with um, Antebellum. So I think it'd be fun to go back and rewatch and see what you think now. Well, yeah, thank you guys for having me as well. I You you guys are really one of the only podcasts that I listen, like go out of my way to listen to. I listen to like you guys and Curtis, so that's it. Oh, that's so nice. But like every time it's Wednesday, I'm like, hell yeah, new horror struck. Wow. Look at that raving review from my own brother. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, thanks for being on. I love you. I love you too. It was fun. Thank you guys. So, Riley, it is your turn to pick the movie for next week. What have you chosen for us to watch? We're going to watch Hereditary. Just kidding. We're never going to watch it. I would like to watch Train to Busan. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I think 
think so. I realize that we have not watched any Asian horror films and we also have not watched any zombie horror films. So I want to check off two boxes at once. I've heard this movie is great. Yeah, I've seen it. It's really good. Um, I think it is definitely one of the better, if not one of the best, especially current zombie horror films. I'm excited to revisit it. I've heard the second one isn't as good, but I've never seen it. I heard that they were trying to make an American version and I think that's so weird because what I know about the film is they're on like a like a metro train that goes through I think this movie is Korean am I am I correct yeah I think it is South Korean okay so they have this whole like metro train system where in America we don't have that public transportation here is terrible so I don't understand how they would have made this movie set in America unless it's like on a New York subway and it sounds really dumb and I hope they don't end up doing it But I think that's basically what I know about the movie. It's a zombie movie. It's set on a metro train. I think there's like a dad and a daughter maybe are the main characters. I'm not really positive, honestly. Yeah, I think those are the big things about it. I I think you'll like it. It's a good movie. I am pretty creeped out by zombie stuff. Like we were just talking about with Ryan, the Dawn of the Dead remake was very frightening to me when I first saw it. I don't think it's going to be anything like super high, but I think it's definitely going to creep you out. Looking forward to it. All right, horror fans, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Horrorstruck. If you want to hear more from us, you can head on over to Twitter and Instagram where we are at HorrorstruckPod, or you can check us out on Facebook at HorrorstruckPodcast. If you have any movie recommendations, you can go ahead and tweet those at us and give it your very own Horrorstruck rating. Until next time, horror fans, remember, stay spooky. Bye. Bye.